We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, Chargers fans. Happy Friday. Welcome back to the Guilty as Charged podcast. This is Tyler, and joining me as always are Jason and Steven. Jason, I know it's an early morning for you right now when we're recording, so I had a question for you to wake you up. Keenan Allen had 34 touchdowns throughout his entire career. How many touchdowns has he had the last three seasons? Fluff, I'm tired. 18. Yes. Correct. Very good. Very good. Steven, I'm not going to ask you a question other than how are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. That one's easy to remember, actually, because he's got 666. We don't like to mention it that way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty terrifying. Well, good thing we'll have a ton more this year. All right, so today we are talking about the offensive line, some of the news that dropped this week regarding Mike Pouncey, some of James Campen's comments. But first, we have an interview with Rob Mosley, who covers the Oregon Ducks, and specifically a guy the Chargers drafted a couple of weeks ago. Take a listen. Hey, Chargers fans, Steven here, and very pleased to be joined today by Rob Mosley, who is the editor of GoDucks.com. How are you doing today, Rob? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for being here, and thanks for asking. Uh, so first things first, I just wanted to get your reaction to the Chargers taking Justin Herbert a couple weeks ago in the NFL draft. Well, yeah, I think everybody for everybody at Oregon that works at Oregon, you know, myself included, we're just really proud of him. Um, you know, the fact that he's – from the city of Eugene, you know, a local kid here just, you know, adds such a glow to his story. Um, and I think, you know, you kind of view kids like that through a, a different prism, um, have, you know, a, a different level of pride in them. And so to see, you know, a kid who's been coming here since he was a little kid sitting in Austin Stadium uh, up here in Eugene watching Oregon football games his whole life, 
to, to then go on and uh, you know become the quarterback of that team and, and lead it to a Pac-12 championship and a Rose Bowl title and then go on to get drafted, um, you know, uh, sixth overall in the NFL. It's just uh, you, you, guys like me like to write great stories. You know, a story like that writes itself. So um, just just really proud of him. Yeah, the Chargers actually posted. I don't know if you saw this, but the Chargers actually found a picture of him when he was a kid wearing a Chargers t-shirt. So, you know, definitely is a, a storybook ending for him, for sure. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, great kid, great family. You know, I think it, 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 it became apparent that questionnaire that went went viral online, too. It became apparent that his, his family was more than happy to go digging through some archives to to help share his story that way. And it just I think that reflects well on his on his parents. His brothers are great kids with his younger brother. Patrick is is still in our program here at Oregon and, and uh, you know, hopefully about to do big things as a tight end over the next couple of years. Um, so, yeah, the, you know, there, it's no surprise how successful he's been and how the way he's handled himself in the spotlight uh, the, the, over the years because, yeah, he, he comes from a great family. And, and that was my initial reaction when I saw some of that stuff come out right after the draft is, you know, Mark and Holly had gone right to the archives to, to see what they could dig out and, and share. Yeah, that was really cool to see. So you've obviously been covering Oregon for a while now. You've uh, you witnessed Marcus Mariota and and Dennis Dixon and all those guys. How does Justin Herbert fit in, at, you know, in that bigger picture of Oregon quarterbacks? Well, I, you know, a couple things stand out. One, the fact that again he is he is a local kid, so he just has a different story um, than the, the than those other guys that you mentioned. And I think the fan base here is going to remember him differently because of that. Um, you know, because yeah, there again, those archives that the family went digging through to to show his early Chargers ties. You know, we've seen a lot of those photos emerge over the years here too. Of you know when he was you know cheering on, uh, back to the Joey Harrington days. You know, which which we all remember really well up here for the success Joey had. I know his NFL career was a little more mixed, but um, you know, a great college player. And um, so. Uh, yeah, there's there's a pantheon of, of quarterbacks here uh, that Justin is now in. You know, I think, you know, for me, just the arm strength is what stands out um, and, and kind of differentiates him from some other guys. You know, his ability to, particularly when he's moving around in the pocket, square his shoulders and just, you know, unleash that cannon of a right arm um, is different than some of the other guys. You know, the dual threat guys like Dennis Dixon and Marcus Mariota were great. You know, Darren Thomas won a lot of games here, you know, didn't go on to much uh, of a pro career, but won a lot of games here, you know, a decade ago. And, you know, he was toughness standing into the pocket in the pocket. Um, you know, every quarterback kind of has that one trait that sticks out the most. And, yeah, for, for Justin, for me, it's just that arm strength. It's just unparalleled. I don't think I've seen anything like it uh, of the other guys I've covered here over the last 25 years or so. Yeah, it was really impressive to see at his pro day that throw where he's just standing flat-footed and uncorked a ball like 60-plus yards, which, you know, that arm strength definitely shows up on film. As it relates to the Chargers, you know, they, I mean, nothing's confirmed, obviously, but it seems like they are wanting to run a system very similar to what Kyle Shanahan is doing in San Francisco. You know, a lot of mobility, and you mentioned the the ability that Justin Herbert has on the run and kind of throwing to his right. How do you think Justin Herbert would fit in with a, you know, Kyle Shanahan run and gun type offense like that? I think physically he can do just about anything. You know, we saw in the Rose Bowl that, you know, when when he was turned into an option runner, um, he he was a difference maker that way with his legs. I think, you know, physically, 
it's like he was made in a lab. Um, I, right. Again, I, I just I just don't think there's much. You know, is he Michael Vick as a runner? No, but um, there's I just don't think there's a, a lot he can't accomplish. Um, and and I think mentally he has the acuity to learn any system um, that you want to put in front of him. Um, you know, particularly if, if Taylor ends up being the starter for a year and he has a chance to, to learn that way. I mean, that was, that was another thing, you know, I was really glad to see him go to a team that had a quarterback that they might be able to entrust for a year. Um, you know, I think, you know, Justin didn't redshirt in college. He did stay four years, which some guys don't do, but, you know, didn't redshirt, you know, I, I still think of him as kind of a young guy. So, you know, to have a year where he could, be groomed as a backup, I think would be fantastic for his development for any quarterback. Um, uh, you know, I think that's the best case scenario. So I thought, I thought that would be helpful too. Um, and, and just let him build some confidence, build some comfort at that level. And then, cause, cause you really want to see him cut it loose. And I think a lot of people, you know, some people have, have said they, they didn't really see him do that enough on film in college. And, and, um, you know, I think, yeah, he, he's a guy who, you, once he has command really can cut it loose. And we saw that in the latter part of this past season um, uh, for the ducks that once he was kind of freed up, they were trying to protect him and not let him be a runner, um, you know, for the sake of his own health and for the sake of the team, once he was freed up to really run the full playbook, um, you know, the, the, the things really took off for him in terms of his production. So, um, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm just, it'll be fascinating to see what kind of system he's put in, how he's groomed, what kind of the time frame is for, for really giving ha- having a chance to break through and, and become the starter there. Yeah, I think you know, like you mentioned, Tyrod Taylor and and that ability to have a veteran in front of him. I think the Chargers' game plan between with the two will be very similar. Um, but what do you think will be Justin's biggest adjustment or, or challenge transitioning to the NFL? You know, I the, the one thing about one of his characteristics is, I mean, he. He's really, he's a perfectionist, which I think has helped him be a high achiever. You know, I mean, academically, I mean, his achievements have been off the charts. Um, and I think, you know, his, his perfectionism fueled a work ethic. You know, you know pe- people talk about being in the football facility here late at night and walking by some random dark room and seeing him tucked into a corner watching film. Um, and what that's fueled by is accountability. I mean, his... The level of accountability he feels to the coaching staff and to his teammates is second to none. I mean, he really doesn't want to let those guys down. And, you know, one thing he had to learn here early in his career is to just not be completely devastated by losses. And because he was his first couple of years, he just felt so much accountability to the to the team that when he felt he let his team down. I mean, he had there, there one of one of his early games as a freshman was at Cal and uh, it went to. I think double overtime and he threw an interception um, that ended the game. Cal ended up winning, but he'd had like five touchdown passes in that game. I mean, he, the, the game's not close unless he plays great, but then he makes the one last mistake that ends the game. And he was just devastated by that and, you know, kind of took it all on himself. Uh, and he had, to, I think he had to learn to kind of handle losing a little bit better and to not take it quite so personally, or, or at least not to project that. Um, and I, so I, th- you know, I, I think for me, that's going to be part of it when he goes to the next level is, you know, the guys on the other side of the ball are, you know, the best of the best elite, you know, right. NFL defenses obviously are going to be no joke. And, and, you know, not every ball is going to be perfect. And sometimes you might throw a good ball and, you know, it's incomplete or God forbid a turnover. 
Um, and how does he handle that? How quickly does he bounce back? Um, does he project to the rest of the team that he's able to bounce back from that and have kind of a next play mentality, as you might say? Um, and, and, you know, I think dealing with that, learning to do that, learning how to do that and project that will be part of um, what he could gain. Again, if, if he's able to have a year kind of to, to learn and to be groomed to be the starter rather than be thrown right at it, I think that would be that would ease that process a little bit. Yeah, that's a lot of good context around, you know, Justin Herbert for sure. And hopefully our listeners are, are enjoying that. Um, something that our listeners have asked us a lot is how the coaching carousel that happened at Oregon really affected Justin Herbert's play. Uh, could you maybe speak on that? I know he had a bunch of different coaches, specifically offensive coordinators. Uh, how was he able to handle that? And really, how does that affect a quarterback in general? Well, his closest relationship with, was with Marcus Arroyo, who he did have for three years. So, you know, the guy who was, he was in meetings with every day, um, you know, my sense would be that Justin felt like there was some consistency there. He did play for three head coaches, um, you know, beginning with Mark Helfrich in 2016, Willie Taggart in 2017, and then Mario Cristobal the last couple of years. And I think a big difference is, you know, I referred earlier to, to him running the ball late last season and how that, that had been a change from earlier in the season. Um, you know, there was a big difference in, you know, kind of how he was deployed. Um, you know, he ran the ball a little bit uh, when he was thrown in. He, he was the start of the second half of his true freshman year in 16. Um, Willie Taggart, when he took over in 2017, really wanted to run the quarterback quite a bit and have that be a weapon. Um, and, and so Justin was running a little more and then it, cost him because on a running play a touchdown ironically um he suffered a, a broken collarbone and missed a big chunk of of that that sophomore year um and so by the time he got to his senior year mario cristobal and the, and the rest of the staff were pretty hesitant to cut him loose and let him run so he he was almost a non-factor in the running game uh and, and so i think where for me where the coaching carousel affected him the most was the way he was deployed and, and the way, you know, for, you know, going back almost 15 years now at Oregon here, that running the quarterback has been a, has been a weapon. And, and that, that changed because he was cut loose in, in such a way as a sophomore that I think there was some fears that he was exposed to, to too much contact. And, and so that affected the way he was deployed as, as a, a junior, particularly as a senior. Um, so that, you know, I think that's, that's where I think that affected him most on the field. Off the field, I think the consistency of having Marcus Arroyo as his position coach over three year um, kind of mitigated the, the, the coaching carousel that he was having to deal with the, um, in terms of the head coach. Yeah, for sure. I, th I think that's definitely something that you can't really quantify is how a player is handling that kind of adversity and, and changing. But you know, I, I personally didn't know that Marcus Arroyo had been there that long, so that's obviously a good thing for for Justin Herbert to, to rely upon him. Um, we'll kind of get you out on her, here on this. I saw you tweeted the picture. Have you bought your Justin Herbert jersey yet? I have not bought a Justin Herbert jersey quite yet. You know, I'm just I want to get through the whole pandemic thing. Make sure college sports is still on solid footing um, before I make any big purchases uh, <laughs> if we can find a way to laugh through all this craziness um we yeah if, if you followed the WNBA draft the, the week before we've got some ducks who's uh i'd like to buy some WNBA gear too sabrina Inescu and, and a couple oh, yeah. others but uh 
holding off just for the moment before any uh, any expenditures like that, to, just to make sure things settle down and, and we get back to normal. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's just a, a shame that Sabrina wasn't really able to cement her legacy like Justin was with, you know, the, for sure. the closing of the NCAA tournament. But, you know, it's been a good year for Oregon sports for the most part. And, you know, we're really glad that you were able to take the time and join us today. Yeah, happy to do it anytime. And I, you're going to have a bunch of Chargers fans in Eugene now. I guarantee you that because, uh, you know, the, the folks around here really rallied to, to Tennessee when they drafted Marcus and, and followed that and were disappointed with the way that ended. And I think the timing's pretty great um, that, uh, you know, when that era ended for him there and he moved on, um, now Justin and the Chargers are uh, are, are kind of can, can take over the, the, the mantle and, and be the pro team that Eugene roots for. So the, you'll, you'll have a lot of eyeballs uh, on your team uh, here uh, from Eugene. That's awesome. That's good to hear. Thank you so much, Rob. Have a good rest of your day. And uh, I guess go Ducks and go Chargers. Love it. Have a good one. All right. So, Stephen, what did you take away from your interview with Mr. Mosley? Well, the first thing I wanted to talk about uh, with him is just kind of things that Justin needs to work on as he makes the, the jump to the NFL. And the thing that he brought up is that he's a perfectionist and he wants every single play to be perfect. And then you know, obviously that leads to some hesitation. And, and that's something that I really noticed on film is that he gets so laser focused in on his first read. And if it doesn't work, he kind of just freaks out and doesn't really know what to do sometimes. Obviously, there are some situations where he will be able to go through his progressions. But, you know, a lot of the inaccuracy and trouble under pressure that I saw was because his first read got shut down. And... In 2018, a lot of it, he was really kind of a, a more of a loose cannon because he had Dylan Mitchell and he knew and he trusted that Dylan Mitchell could make some plays. And so uh, in 2019, he didn't have that guy. And so if the first three broke down, he really wasn't really able to trust his players. And so I think that's a big, uh, a big challenge that he'll have going forward, uh, moving into the NFL. So that's something that um, even Pep Hamilton noticed. And, and talked about with Jim Trotter the other day when he said that, you know, Justin needs to work on on really just focusing in on, on multiple reads and being able to adjust on the fly. So that's definitely something that was interesting to me. And then just talking to him about his legacy at Oregon because, like, Marcus Mariota won a lot more and I think was a, a more proficient college quarterback. And, you know, Dennis Dixon was really good and Joey Harrington was really good. So Oregon has quite... Uh, an extensive quarterback history. And so it, it was just interesting to hear how Justin Herbert is perceived in Oregon. And because he is a local kid, that kind of gives him an edge over some of the other quarterbacks. And, and he didn't necessarily say that he's like the best Oregon quarterback ever, but because he was a local kid who his only power five scholarship offer was to Oregon and because there's just that heart and and sentimental value, so to speak, of Justin Herbert that he's kind of elevated uh, amongst Oregon fans. And obviously he put up the numbers and he won a lot of games and uh, he won a Rose Bowl, so that helps too. But it was just inter- interesting to hear how an Oregon fan and an Oregon writer would perceive Justin Herbert versus a guy like Marcus Mariota, for example. That's a good call. Good interview for sure. All right, so we'll get into the news of the week now. Mike Pouncey, per his own self, has been cleared to play. After a good 2018 Pro Bowl season, he regressed a little bit in 2019 
and then he was injured in the Broncos game. Dan Feeney had to take his place. Then when Lamp got hurt, Feeney took his place. And Questenberry came in at center. Um, listen, if he's returning, obviously he's starting, I'd imagine. And I'm not really sure if I'm super on board with this one. Uh, for starters, I think it is time to move on with the youth at this point. Um, we also, some people anticipated, well, if Pouncey goes, they had the cap space to maybe sound like a Jason Peters. People even speculated it was Cam Newton at one point. Obviously, that's not going to happen anymore. Uh, Pouncey was a good center for Rivers. You know, Rivers had a couple of years. Pouncey would give him a couple of years. Did fine. That's great. But now I just think, and I kind of just thought it was time to move on. But this does upgrade the depth, and we'll get into that. But for now, what do you guys think of Pouncey coming back? Obviously, we're happy for him to be healthy and ready to go. But how do you feel about the move and how he fits on the team? Well, I mean, the plus of this is that Scott Quisenberry is your backup instead of Ryan Groy. Mm-hmm. So that's a big plus there. Um, yeah. For those of you that have kind of kept track of me over the, like, the last week or so, I've been kind of like going through past Chargers games um, in 20, 2019 anyway and kind of grading all these players and seeing how they stack up. And I was really surprised, actually, at how low Mike Pouncey has graded so far this season. And, like, I'm curious to see because I'm now at the point where Mike Pouncey is out and I haven't graded any further. I'm interested I'm interested to see how Dan Feeney's grade changes because Dan Feeney is one of the highest-graded chargers on offense so far. Um, this is before Mike Williams started going off and getting his 20-yard catches all the time and snagging the 50-50 balls. It was like... Dan Feeney was basically holding Mike Pouncey's hands sometimes. And I wasn't expecting that necessarily. So I'm interested to see if Mike Pouncey kind of returns to his 2018 form. I haven't really regraded 2018 at all. So I don't know what, how good he was technically or um, grade-wise. But I do remember like what, like I like watching him play in 2018. But 2019, it was a little tough to watch. But I will say, having him on the field as a starter is insanely important for depth. Because you're talking about Ryan Groy being your backup center is not great. Scott Quesenby? Scott Quesenberry being your That's backup. <laughs> it's Squat. Squat. Quesenby. Squat Quesenby. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Squat. Um but yeah, Q, Scotty Q, is a great backup. Like, that's an ideal situation. And I don't know if they kept Ryan Groy around. I imagine they did because they have not got, like, they have not signed, like, any interior O-line at all. Um, but the, like I said, the plus is depth. The bad part is, as Tyler said, like, your youth movement is kind of, like, stunted a little bit. Uh, maybe they keep Mike Pouncey for the sake of Tyrod Taylor, to Rod Taylor, and move on to Scott Cousinberry when Herbert takes the field, or maybe they draft an interior online. They don't seem to have a lot of faith in Cousinberry, but um, I'm happy for Pouncey. I really am because as he said, he does, he's not even questioning whether he wants to retire or not. He's, he's not retiring anytime soon. He did not like the retired life. So I'm happy for him. Go back to playing the game you love. And, you know, we've heard stories like this to where it, revives their career almost to where they come back and they realize how much they love this game and so they bring their a game so we'll see what happens yeah i I, i'm not really sure what happened uh in 2019 but i'm i'm 
just from watching him, I know that he wasn't up to par to his 2018 uh, self. And so if the Chargers can get 2018 Mike Pouncey back, this is a huge win. Uh, as much as I like Scott Questenberry and believe in him, I think, you know, just having that veteran former Pro Bowl center from 2018, like if he can get that version back, then that's a big that's a big win for this team. And, and you know, just the depth like Jason is speaking to is going to be so much better. And and just from an individual standpoint, like this was a, a potentially a career threatening injury for him. And so the fact that he's able to to recover like this and be back healthy is it's just really good to see from from a player that that I respect and admire. So I want to see Scott Questenberry on the field. You know, I, he was one of my favorite players from last year. Uh, maybe this is a center competition, and like everywhere else that Anthony Lynn has talked about, maybe that they give them that option of of opening up a competition and just getting the best guy out there, and and maybe Scott Questenberry could win that battle. But yeah, I think ultimately uh, Mike Pouncey is going to start at center and. Yeah, you know, it's just exciting because this offensive line is going to be so much better in two, in 2020, you know, barring injuries. 2020. Um, I love it. Yeah. But uh if they if they're healthy, they're going to be a much improved unit and and getting Mike Pouncey is is another step in that direction. I'll tell you what. You guys talked me into recording this early and I'm enjoying it so far. I like all the messed up words. <laughs> <laughs> all right so listen if you're putting pouncy in there and if you think like if you watch the film jason you'll have to let me know if feeney regressed a little bit after he switches back to left guard and he doesn't look that great when pouncy's not there then putting pouncy back is a plus for feeney then if you're trying to build some sort of chemistry on your offensive line i'd rather have pouncy there next to turner and bulaga building that chemistry than what would be essentially first year official starter Scott Questenberry. So I could see that working out. So right now the line looks like Pipkins, Feeney, Pouncey, Turner, Balaga. Behind him, I'm guessing it's Norton, Lamp, Questenberry, Scott, I guess, and Tevi. Um, is there really even like a true right guard on this roster? I guess it's just kind of Lamp or Questenberry, whoever decides to fill in, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's a rotational interior line. They're going to put whoever plays best there. Um, behind Turner anyway. So I imagine like Lamp got some reps there over the last couple of years. So we might see that. Uh, I believe it was this preseason where we saw Feeney and Lamp play together on the field where Lamp was on right guard and Feeney was at left guard. Mm-hmm. I could be mistaken, but uh, they could go with that as like the backup option. Um, but the more I've watched... Yeah, I think they went with Feeney at center and Lamp at left guard. That might be a case as well. Um the more I watch, though, the more I watch the line from last year, the more I really think that Lamp is going to have to get his reps at left tackle, and there's no other way he's going to get those reps. Um, otherwise, he's going to be stuck mm-hmm. at backup, and then they're either going to resign him to a really cheap deal, or he's going to bet on himself and go find a one-year deal somewhere else. Uh, or they might be just completely done with him, and they're not okay with this experiment anymore. Uh, it's just been a mix of injuries and bad luck. Mm-hmm. But... Feeney was is fantastic so far in my 2019 rewatch. Like he's on another level from the rest of the line, and like in a big way, in a big way. Like my most recent game, I think I gave the highest grade was Trent Scott with like a D plus, and then there's Dan Feeney with a B plus. Like it wasn't even close. So oh, man. it was 
it was something interesting, man. And so Feeney, I don't, I don't think that position should be up for grabs. I think that should be the one constant from last year to this year is Dan Feeney. And then, you know, with center, we'll see and left tackle, we'll see, but Lamp's going to have to get his reps at left tackle. It's going to have to. Yeah, I think you want at least some continuity on your offensive line. You know, having five brand new starters essentially is is not really what you want to see from a year-to-year change, especially as you're changing schemes and you're bringing a new offensive line coach. So having that familiarity of, of Dan Feeney would be a, a big plus in that area. And sometimes you'll just see like a, a you know, another year of improved chemistry can, can be a big step for a player, and that could be the case for Dan Feeney too, so... That'll be interesting to watch. As far as Forrest Lamp goes, I think, you know, it's just unfortunate that because of the injuries that he's in this situation again where we don't know where he's playing. We don't know how he's going to get reps. Um, I think he should be the first offensive tack or the first offensive lineman off the bench in case of injury, like put him at left tackle, left guard, right guard. Um, I think he should be that key reserve offensive lineman. Um, I would love to see him as a starter. I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, you know, left tackle, I, it, reportedly they're going to have the competition and, and, you know, they mentioned all the players that they have, you know, Lamp, Pipkins, Tevi, even Scott. I just think it's going to be Pipkins' job at this point. Um, I could see maybe Sam Tevi winning it just because he, I think he's more of a, a natural athlete. At this point, than Pipkins is. I think he's got a little bit, you know, Tom Telesco mentioned his quick feet. Um, but I think Pipkins is, is already a better technical left tackle than, than Tevi would be. So, And Tevi's never played on the left side once in his career. Um, he actually was recruited to Utah as a defensive tackle. And then he switched to right tackle at Utah and then right tackle on the Chargers. So I think switching Tevi to left tackle and starting him in the first year of that switch would be will be pretty rough for him, even with a mobile quarterback that you can do some things. But I think that would be a, a big adjustment for Sam Tevy. All right, let's transition now into those James Campen comments because Campen definitely believes in Pipkins. I guess we'll get into those comments in a second. But at this point, with Jason Peters not signed, and I forget whose tweet it was. I know, Jason, you pointed it out. It really sounded like it came down to a price tag thing. And that's true. I get it. Like, he wants to make... He's a good left tackle still, I believe. So, of course, he wants to make money. He's got the career and resume to prove it. He's healthy and ready to go. Um, but at this point, you guys think ship has sailed. It is Pipkin's job. I believe it's Pipkin's job. I could see them going Peters, sure. But at this point, I'm pretty sure it's the third-round pick's job to lose. Yeah. They could They could still sign Jason Peters. Like They do have the cap space to give him a kind of contract that he wants. But then they would have basically no cap room to do anything in season. Like if, if someone got hurt, they wouldn't have the space to bring in someone like even like a small contractor like Ryan Groy that they did last year. So that that's really what it comes down to is if they want to be able to move some things around in the season or if they want Jason Peters. So, uh, I mean, they have maybe they don't have like the full extent of what the Eagles could give him or, or whoever he is potentially signing with. Um, but. If they brought him in, I would be thrilled with it. If not, like I, I believe in, in Trey Pipkins and, and barring a Jason Peters signing, I think this is Pipkins' job. I I want Jason Peters on the team, but I feel like I would be a lot more on board with this if Phillip Rivers was still a charger. 
like with Terod Taylor and Justin Herbert, I don't. But see, it couldn't hurt. You're talking about a one-year deal, maybe, unless he's asking for like a three-year deal. Then that can make sense. Yeah, um, that's true. But a one-year deal, even if he wants like ten million, eleven million, twelve million, uh, I mean, that's not going to affect cap next year. Like Steven said, it would just affect roster maneuverability. Um, so I mean, I could see them going either way. I would just. I don't know if I would bite the bullet and sign Justin Peters or if I would trust Trey Pipkins. I think at this point I would just trust the competition at left tackle along with James Campen. And, you know, you have to think they're in constant communication with Campen at this point because they, their coaches seem to be, like, keyed in on all these guys. Pep Hamilton is already on the phone with Justin Herbert all the time, and I have no doubt that James Campen is already on the phone with these linemen all the time. So... I'm sure they're they're kind of communicating on all levels with Telesco and Lynn and Campen, uh, Steichen. They're, they're probably all talking about whether Peters is an option or if they trust their young offensive tackle that they did spend a third-round pick on. And that's I feel like that's kind of forgotten. It's just because there was a quote-unquote reach um, doesn't mean he's a sixth-round talent. They drafted him in the third round for a reason. And I... There's a lot of third-round offensive linemen that are starting in the NFL right now. So I I have to think that they have faith in Pipkins right now. Um, they, they drafted him for his tools, and he has let it, he's given them no reason to believe that he can't develop because that improvement from early preseason to the end of the 2019 season was insane. And if there was a most developed award going around Chargers camp, that he'd probably get it. So he was, yeah. I mean, I I just I think I would just roll with Pipkins over Peters. I know price tag, like if he was wanting like a one year six million dollar deal, like everybody was speculating he might settle for, which kind of seems like that's not going to be the case. I would be fine with it, but if you're talking like he wants a two or even if he wants a two-year deal, I'm kind of, eh, I'm backing off on that one. Because um, it is about time for draft picks sometimes. And if you if you already have three years of Pipkins off the board, and then he's a one-year starter before his next contract, that's a problem. So, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I think they roll with Pipkins, and I think they trust Pipkins, and I think that's the smart move. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, even if, well, listen, I don't think the Chargers are going to take you know, the guy out of Oregon, the left tackle out of Oregon anytime soon. But I think, is he left Sewell? tackle? Yeah. 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 Anyway. Yeah. So I don't think they're going to be high in to range him. for him at all. But you guys mentioned this next offensive tackle class is, yeah, no no chance. Well, apparently, according to Pro Football Focus, they will. So, um, Jeez. so I mean, if the Pipkins experiment fails and they're moving on from Tyrod Taylor anyway to go to Justin Herbert, they can just get their left tackle next season. And that's a terrible way to look at it. You want Pipkins to develop, but worst case scenario, you just get your new guy next year. But I believe in Pipkins, I believe in Campen, and maybe Forrest Lamp, I guess, but I'm not buying that for a second. I really think he's just the interior depth piece, emergency tackle, maybe, but otherwise, no, I think it's Pipkins. So let's talk about the dip, no, well, the last thing that Campen said, or not the last thing, one of the other things that Campen mentioned was the difference in the offensive line play with a mobile quarterback, which is interesting that they brought in two guys like Bulaga and Turner who are used to guys who can improvise. Turner had Newton, 
Bulaga obviously had Aaron Rodgers. So they're great additions in that regard. So Stephen, walk us through what changes, what what are the changes for linemen when their quarterback isn't a complete stone statue? Well, it's going to be an adjustment for guys who have been used to playing for Philip Rivers because, you know, uh, Campin mentioned the launch point and, and how that changes what you're able to do as an offensive lineman because as soon as Tyrod or, or Justin Herbert leave the pocket as an offensive lineman, you kind of just have to let go of your assignment or else you're going to be called for holding. So that's the first thing is you're not used to, you know, the defensive players are going to be able to react and you're kind of just waiting and, and kind of have to be reactionary as well, more so than you're used to. So that'll be the first thing that changes. And then, you know, obviously the second thing that they'll change is scheme and how they'll be able to make things easier for the offensive line when, when they roll Tyrod or, or Herbert out of the pocket and do some easy things that way. Um, but, it, you know, it sounds like an easy thing, like, oh, they just have to be a more reactionary offensive lineman than they're used to. But it's it's different because Phil Rivers, like, never went out of the pocket. It was, like, once or twice a game. And, you know, I would expect Tyrod Taylor to escape the pocket, like, 10, 15 times a game and, and try and create some things with his legs. So... You know, that's a big adjustment for guys who have never played for a mobile quarterback like Dan Feeney or, I mean, I guess Mike Pouncey played with Ryan Tannehill, but, you know, it's just a big adjustment that way. And, and then they have to learn a new scheme and, you know, offensive linemen, as, as far as learning new schemes go, like they're, they're not quarterbacks, they're not running backs and receivers that, you know, there's a ton of responsibility, but, um, you know, it's going to be a big adjustment, especially for someone who has to do protect, adjust protections and things like that. Uh, up front for the offensive line so one thing I did want to bring up here you know Tyrod Taylor uh, he hasn't really played for a great offensive line Uh, in his three years in Buffalo he took 36 sacks 42 sacks and 46 sacks and then in Cleveland it was really bad in two and a half starts he took 13 sacks Uh, so kind of asking both of you here obviously it's hard to predict like how many sacks that he's going to take but it's not going to be that bad where he's taking 40 sacks in a season well sacks are a quarterback stat too so i can't just say right based on offensive line how he's gonna do um right because philip rivers last year made the line look a lot worse than it was like it's pretty it was pretty bad it was a pretty god-awful line but you know it's about timing are you stepping up into pressure or are you stepping out into pressure uh, there were just times where he rolled out and he should have stepped up. And there were times where he stepped up and he should have rolled out. And so his his vision wasn't very good in terms of the, both the pocket and reading the backfield of the defense. So um, it, it, it depends on – God, I took a shot at Rivers. I feel pretty bad about it. Um, <laughs> but my point is is that it, it relies a lot on both the quarterback and the line. And it's up to – to Rod Taylor to understand how his line moves and it's an entirely new offensive line from last season so he has no practice at this point so if they if it's like a situation where you know this pandemic forces them to miss out on training camp and a lot of the preseason now you have a problem where Taylor has no chemistry with this line he doesn't know what to expect and so I can't just say like no he's not going to get sacked as much because if that is the case then I could see him getting sacked a lot to start off and then it, you know, kind of dipping down and like the curve 
going down based on how many times he gets sacked. Um, I mean, that aside, I, I expect them, if that's the case, to do training camp in Vegas or something like that. So I, I don't think that'll be the case. But I'm just saying there's a lot of variables that go into this other than just offensive line, as you, as you mentioned. If I had to guess, I would say that ty- that Tyrod Taylor knows how to use quick route receivers, such as like Robert Woods or Keenan Allen. And so I think he'll take advantage of that. And he's really good at avoiding bad decisions. And he, he knows when to check it down and utilize his backs. He did it with Justin Jackson a lot in the preseason where he would check it down to Jackson and I think you'll see more of that as the as the 2020 season goes along. So I don't think well, I don't I don't expect many sacks, um, but it also depends on Pipkins and Pouncey. I think edge pressure is going to be the biggest deal because Terod Taylor can get away from interior pressure. It's it's the pressure off the left edge that scares me. Yeah, it's interesting, like you mentioned, the Phil Rivers thing, because everybody says, well, he gets the ball out quick, and, and it's kind of a double-edged sword there, because, yeah, he can get the ball out quick, but he also uh, didn't have that, that good feeling, like you were saying, of uh, the pocket like he normally does last year, so that obviously led to a lot of sacks. So, yeah, it'll, it'll certainly be interesting to see how this offensive line pans out this year. You know, I'm excited for it, and even if Pipkins is the left tackle, and I believe in Pipkins, but obviously that would be the, the wink link of the line. But the upgrade from Tevi to Balaga and Schofield to Turner is so big that it's just like I'm so excited to see what they're going to be able to do on the right side of the offensive line and be able to you know just bully people on that side in, in the run game and in the passing game. So it'll be fun to watch for sure. Yeah, there's a lot of factors to consider, like Jason was saying, when it comes to sack numbers. I mean, for starters, they're going to run the ball 30 times a game, which was not the case with Rivers. Well, I assume they will. Maybe they won't because they have way more offensive weapons this time around than Tyra Taylor ever had in in Buffalo. Uh, What else? I mean, yeah, like you said, Rivers, it's a double-edged sword because, yeah, he would get the ball out quick, and then you'd see him against, like, Houston, whoever played, like, Sam Tevy ended up on his belly. He'll get, you know, drop back to pass and then run forward awkwardly and then fumble the ball. It's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. (laughs) <laughs> you know, making these making these terrible decisions sometimes, you know, as a as a pocket passer, which, I mean, that's Rivers. So Taylor, I mean, I don't know. I think if you're looking at just sack numbers to compare, like, last year to what this year's going to be, I would bet on them being lower because they're going to run more, and I would kind of bet on them being lower because Taylor can escape. But like you said, edge pressure is tough. Also, he does take more unnecessary sacks. Like, he will sometimes just, for whatever reason, for a guy who is very mobile and for a guy who does throw the ball away quite often I'll just like fall down and accept the sack sometimes yeah which is i mean i don't know maybe he's just trying to live another day and just take the sack and move on i don't know and we're certainly used to just seeing rivers just tuck the ball and stand there before he's even hit just to protect himself and to, to survive to the next play that so, was my favorite you know if you're just don't oh god you know there's like nothing better <laughs> than watching the tv and not seeing what he sees and all of a sudden he just like armadillos it and curls up into a ball and you're just like what and then he gets sacked yeah it was the weirdest thing to watch yeah so i mean if you so don't i guess don't look at look at everything don't just look at sack numbers if you guys are trying to pay attention to you know which line is better i don't know i mean unless he's getting you know sacked 70 times next season like 
you know, David Carr or something, then you have a problem, sure. But otherwise, just look at the overall line play. But I guess if I'm betting, sacks will go down, I suppose. And, and fortunately, the AFC West, I don't think, yeah, they got better on offense, but it's not like they increased their pass rush, although the Broncos will get Chubb back. But I don't think, you know, there's not that's six games, not too crazy. Patriots, maybe not that great on defense. I mean, they'll be good. But I don't think their pass rush would be amazing. So I don't know. I, th- I think the numbers will go down. Wait, so Tyler, you mean that stats don't tell the whole story? Oh, God. I'm not even going to get into all the things I hear behind that statement you just made. I'm not even going to get into that right now. <laughs> don't press me. It's too early. No, yeah. Offensive line, offensive line play, especially, like, like Jason said, sacks are a quarterback stat as well. So, yeah, offensive line play is there's so many things that need to go right or go wrong for an offensive line to be considered elite or, or terrible or whatever. So there's just a lot of context surrounding offensive line play that people don't realize. And, you know, it is it is tough to say, like, oh, they gave up a lot of sex, so that means they're terrible. Like, the Dolphins' offensive line mm-hmm. last year was absolutely horrendous and they didn't give up a ton of sacks i think their sack number was right around the same as the chargers yeah but. if you think the chargers line was abysmal go watch a couple of dolphins games and then you'll think the chargers offensive line are gods yeah um yeah. watch the chargers dolphins game yeah for sure um in terms of like offensive line the context behind it as chris Harrison told us a while back you're either an off an elite offensive line or you suck there's no in between. Your fans right. either hate you or they love you. Even Cowboys fans, man, they lost one guy, and then like they had their elite season where everybody's asking, "Is this the best O line in history?" And then they lost one guy, and that one guy struggled, and all of a sudden the entire offensive line sucked, and fans hated their offensive line so much. And even to this day, I see Cowboys fans complain about their O line all the time because Dak Prescott is elite and has no time to throw. So, you know, shout out to Cowboys fans. But <laughs> the worst, <laughs> but just to kind of like step back away from Cowboys fans, Chris Harrison is absolutely right. Either you have an elite offensive line or the line gets no respect. So there were, there were times last year where I was defending the O line, trying to say like, they're not as bad as you guys think. Like this is not the worst line out there. Uh, Rivers is doing a lot to make them look a lot worse than they are. Um, there was there was a couple plays where there was this one play in particular. I, I can't remember if it was against the Chiefs or the Raiders, where Pipkins walked his guy out, like walked his guy out into the backfield as a left tackle is supposed to do when the when the edge doesn't bend. He just takes him out, right? And that's a that's a win for the offensive tackle. But Rivers stood there and took and so the. Uh, edge was able to get around and sack rivers and everybody was kind of like what the hell pipkins it, it wasn't pipkins fault at all it was just the right. quarterback wasn't aware of what was going on around him and it resulted in a bad play and as a result that one rep from pipkins that was actually a win for him resulted in more the line sucks conversation so they, it just kind of walks us back to it's a quarterback stat too, and there's a lot of context along the O line. So you can't just judge them based on numbers, and you can't really compare. I mean, you can compare them 
because I don't, if this line is worse than last year, we have a problem, but <laughs> I, I, I think it's going to be fine. I think it's going to be fine. All right. That is it for us today. Thank you, Chargers fans, for listening. Jason and Steven, where can they find you on social media? You can find me at Centauri13 on Twitter, at GAC Podcast 17 the neglected Instagram account. And I hope you all have a great week. <laughs> uh, you can find me at Stephen I. Hagland and at GAC Podcast 17 uh, We are going to do a Patreon giveaway next month. We're going to give away a couple Chargers hats. Uh, so stay tuned for that. I will be posting those details later on Twitter and on Patreon. Yes, and please leave us ratings on Apple. We are at 88 ratings and five stars. So if you guys could bump us up to 100, that's a prettier number. But if you could bump us up to 100 with five-star ratings, that'd be even better. This is Tyler. You can find me at Tyler J. Shoon or just search at the Guilty as Charged podcast on, yeah, give us to 100 and stop. That's fine. That's all we need. Just the triple digits. It looks a lot better. Just like, I don't know. Anyway, and just don't give us 666, okay? Don't be, don't make us like Keenan Allen. <laughs> anyway, yeah, search up the Guilty as Charged podcast on Facebook. Please follow us there. We'll be posting some events as training camp. Well, sorry, if we have a training camp, we'll be posting some events there. And we'd love to get you guys some Raising Canes or something. But if they move our training camp to Vegas, then we'll get you guys some, I don't know. We'll take a picture with you at the Bellagio. Anyway, uh, <laughs> thanks for listening. See you guys next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.